Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am Marsha Van Weinsberg. I am a speaker, a coach, and a published author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will share tips, tools, and strategies used by our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in their lives. I am on a mission to educate, empower, and inspire you to see that when you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive right in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we had an incredible conversation with the author, upcoming author, Nicole Delcourt. Nicole and I had just such a deep, deep conversation, really centered around shame and the power of shame and how it affects our life and what it does and how those stories hold us back. And we literally, those are, this is exactly the kinds of things that I love to talk to clients about and love to share with the stories. So Nicole and I dove in deep, so I know you're going to love this episode. Nicole is an author of the upcoming book, that's going is called the things I couldn't say and she is just starting her podcast the things we couldn't say and I was just on her podcast um, just recently so that I will link that when we have that released then Nicole is a mother a wife a writer and an award-winning real estate agent who is on a mission to empower women to become the authors of their own story. Nicole spent years struggling with anxiety and panic attacks and believed that she was broken, a narrative that literally nearly cost her her life. When she dives into her story and you hear that backstory to the point of where she ended up to where she is now, it blows your mind. It blows your mind. I'm gonna say she's just an incredible human being. Now she is healed from her experience. She's passionate about sharing her story so other women who are struggling will know that they aren't alone. She is literally bringing light to shame and sharing that so that shame does not have the power that we give it. And doing that by creating community, collaboration, giving permission for women to share their story, allowing them to grieve for the story that they have lived or what they have gone through. And I just think it's such a powerful, powerful movement because Shame is, if you have not read anything from Brene Brown on shame, I would encourage you, if it's something that you do struggle with, which most of us do in some way, shape, or form, but shame is something that when we are quiet and we hide, we actually feed the shame. If we feed our shame and we, we give power to our story, but the problem is, is that we're giving power in the wrong places. We're not giving it back to ourselves. In order to create change in our lives, we have to bring it back to ourselves. We have to. So shame needs a voice in order to create change. It loses its power. It loves secrecy. It loses its power to a voice. So she is taking and talking about shame to give it a voice. So I absolutely loved everything about this episode and what she is doing on this planet with her story and with the lessons that she learned. She is the exact person that I love to interview for this podcast. So I cannot wait for you to hear it, and I would love to hear your feedback when you tune into it and your takeaways because it's truly, truly a powerful episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we are talking with Nicole Dalcourt. And we just had such a great conversation that we had to remember to push record because there was a lot of things that we were talking about. So Nicole is an author with a book to be released early in 2020. And the name of the book is The Things That I Couldn't Things I Couldn't Say. And the things we couldn't say is her podcast that is launching. And I was just interviewed on her podcast last week. So we had such a great conversation and Nicole is all about, let's talk about our shame-based stories, which, you know what, if you've been listening to this show long enough, you know, that's right up my jam. That is exactly the kind of things I like to talk about and help women through, people through our shame-based stories because our shame honestly carries so much power in our lives. And when we realize that we are the ones that are feeding that shame story, then we can change that. So I cannot wait to dive into Nicole's story because honestly, she absolutely blew me away. So this will be great. Welcome to the show, Nicole. 
Thank you, Marsha. It's so good to talk to you again. It's only been a couple of days. I know. Well, we sure do have good chats though. So it's, and I'm happy to do it again. It's awesome. It's awesome. So we're going to start with a few questions so people can get to know a little bit more about you and then we'll dive into your story if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So where are you from? So I'm actually north of Toronto in uh, a town called Barrie. Well, I guess it's a city. Yes. Uh, yeah, beautiful place. I love it here. We've been here about 20 years. Oh, really? Yeah. One of my like, closest friends lives in Barrie. And I love Barrie. Barrie in the summer is beautiful. Oh, it sure is. Winter is a lot of snow sometimes compared to really only being like an hour and a half, two hours away from me. They can have a lot of snow. But the summer is beautiful. Yeah. And, and, and that one and a half, two hours uh, in, for snow accumulation makes a difference. <laughs> it's insane. I think probably two or three times we've actually been en route to go to her. And I'm like, forget this. We're going home because yeah. the snow is insane. And so, I actually don't love winter. So it's funny. But uh, a couple of years ago, I just decided to really embrace it. And yes. my husband and I got some snowshoes. So we've been trying to do a lot of outdoor stuff in the winter. And that has certainly helped. That's so, awesome. Yeah embrace where you are exactly or move right like yep, embrace where you are. <laughs> I hear you so are you a reader oh yes okay yes could you share with us a book that has had some impact on your life yes um I think so I I've got a ton of books for a ton of different sort of seasons mm -hmm. in my life and there's fiction and there's nonfiction, but for today, I'm going to say it would probably be Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, um, who doesn't love her. She's my hero. Um, and yeah, so I love anyone who's willing to talk about shame, to bring shame into the light and to get people talking about it, get people focused on it and get people getting rid of it. Right. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. A voice that shame needs a voice in order to change. And out of all of my Brene Brown books, that is my favorite. I love it on audible. I probably listened to it like four or five times yep. on Audible because there's just so many nuggets that I take yep. out of it. Yeah. One of my favorites. Yeah. Like, and every time I read it, I pick up something different, mm -hmm. right? That I didn't read the last time. Yeah, absolutely. Have you listened to her, her Netflix, the Netflix um, special that she did the two hours. She has a Netflix special um, that was released I'm probably about a month or two ago. It's really good. Yes, I haven't yet, only because I'm looking for a time when I'm home alone and can eat popcorn and just make a mess and be all by myself and nobody speak to me. So I haven't had that opportunity yet. Oh, I understand. <laughs> I totally understand. The one thing I think that if, you, if you're listening and you don't follow Brene, the one thing about her that I love is the fact that she, is, she can add humor to facts to like no BS and straight up talk. Like she's just kind of all of that rolled into one and that's what I love. Yes, and so soothing. Very soothing. Yep. But real is like just oh, like yeah. no BS real. That, yeah. that I love how she can do that and appeal to everybody. So I mean, I, she's definitely one of my top mentors who has impacted my life. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I've said before that um, if uh, she's one of the only people in the world that if she started a cult, I would join it. <laughs> so, well, right. you and me both. We That's both right. Brene, if you're listening, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we will be meeting you one day. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. That's her. awesome. Well, along that lines, do you have a favorite quote or something that you use as like an anchor in your life? Uh, yeah, I mean, again, I've got different ones for, for different times in my life. Um, there is a Bible quote. I'm not, I'm not overly religious, but there's a Bible quote that I've always loved. Um, and it's, uh, she is clothed in strength and dignity and laughs without fear of the future. And that, uh, quote has just always given me a lot of hope and I have it, um, hanging in my bathroom. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a nice reminder. And it, I think it just reminds us that we all have the strength within us and that we can be happy and we can look forward to the future. And I don't know, it just gives me all the feels. So I like that one. No, I like that one. It's a reminder that I think I always say that we have everything we need. Yep. We can always become more, but we have what we need in order to take it to that next level. So I love that. I love that quote. Um, along those lines then, do you have a mentor who has been, it can be an in-person mentor, somebody you know, or somebody you don't know? 
who has impacted or affected your life? Um, that's a good question. I actually, I'm not sure that I have one specifically, but what, what I will say for where I am in my life right now and in sort of the vein of women supporting women and that kind of thing, I am really enjoying uh, watching the great Canadian woman grow and I am enjoying watching Sarah stand in her power and yes. in her light and teaching us all and even starting my own podcast was uh, just just a little nudge from Sarah when she wasn't even talking to me, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so, and just watching her success and her, you know, sharing it and watching oh. you grow from it and, and all of that kind of stuff. So I think, um, um, you know, watching Sarah do her thing even though she's not, you know, a direct sort of mentor or, um, you know, coach of mine or anything. It's been, it's been really positive in my life watching her grow. That's, I, that's awesome. And I'm, you know, I just finished talking to her today. So yeah. I just absolutely adore Sarah and, um, what she has paying was paying it forward. She's impacting a lot of businesses. Absolutely. And great example of, you know what, you just start stepping into that and you believe what you're offering and you know, it's going to make a difference. And then all of a sudden this business morphs out of what it is that you're meant to do. And I just love that. Like, absolutely. Yeah. It's like she's giving people permission, but mm -hmm. also giving us the tools to, Absolutely. to create it. Absolutely. So, yeah. That's great. I love that. I love that. And she will love that. Okay. Um, yeah, she will. <laughs> so last question I want to ask you is just quickly, like what lights you up? Like what lights you up? What drives you? What motivates um, you? Being outside. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I just... I need to be outside every day, whether it's playing sports or going for a hike or walking yeah. the dog or yeah. something like that. Um, yeah. It took me about 35 years to realize that. Um, and, you know, it took, you know, being sick and having to, to, to readjust my whole life to realize that, oh, nature is what fills my cup. And, and, you know, I love that you said this and the fact, because sometimes we think it has to be this like enormously big thing that's going to create massive change for us. Sometimes it's just outside. I will literally pull my laptop up, especially the summer weather. And we have a beautiful big tree that covers the back deck. So I could sit outside and work like literally all day and I'm not in the sun. Amazing. And I honestly, my husband's like, I think we should cut the tree down. I'm like, we cut that tree down and we are moving. Like it's, over my dead body. Are we like it's not out? happening. It's <laughs> not because I will sit out there and work most of the day. I love being outside and I love that fresh air. And I think I'm definitely meant to be more in this weather than the winter, but that's okay. I'm the same as you have embraced it. Yep. The winter and my dog, it helps me get outside, but I'm definitely, I need outside air on a daily basis. It's like your satellite office, right? Yeah. yeah. Completely. Yeah. completely. Yeah. Most of my book edits were done out on that deck two years ago. Like pretty nice. much most of them were done there for hours at a time. So yeah. So beautiful. I hear you on that. So you like to talk about shame and you like to, and so what is it about shame that speaks to you that you feel called to like you, I mean, we've got a podcast about it and you have a book to be released about it. So you are bringing a lot of light to shame, which we all know it needs light. It needs voice in order to create change, right? It's yep. shame, love, secrecy. So the more we don't talk about it, the more power it gets. So what does it mean to you? Like what is drawing you in this direction now to be doing so much talking about shame? So I think for me, um, I always felt like I was broken okay. and I felt very ashamed of that. And being ashamed, like we've talked about before, is rooted in secret. So I always felt like I had this secret that I was carrying around with me that made me different than everybody else. Um, and because, you know, 20, 25 years ago, we weren't having the com same conversations around mental health that we're having now. I mean, at all, really. And uh, so it was really easy to feel isolated, to feel alone, to feel different, to feel broken, to feel all of those things that you don't want to feel about yourself because it makes you feel awful. Right. And uh, yeah, and, and, I, and I felt the whole sort of negative gamut of that. Mm -hmm. And 
it, uh, it did a real number on my self-esteem, on my self-worth, on the decisions that I made. And um, I spent such a long time and such a big portion of my life feeling ashamed of myself for, for what? For, you know, for something I, I couldn't control, something that I didn't choose to have anxiety. I didn't choose to have OCD. Um, so that was something that I experienced. And um, instead of having the conversations around, you know, you're still good, you're still worthy, but you have this thing that you have to deal with, those conversations weren't taking place. So I just felt very damaged. Okay. Yeah. So now I just, I don't want other women to feel like that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I'm just on a mission to, to create a space for people to be able to talk about that and to talk about it openly, um, to have support, to have love, to have, uh, to, to have friendship, you know, to, to understand you are not alone. Well, that's the, as we spoke earlier, that is really one of my big milestones that I want people to understand is, is that if we don't talk about the difficult things in life, it's no reason we all feel alone. A hundred percent. Like we feel alone because we are not talking about the difficult things in life because fear, judgment, whatever, all the pieces, right? But whatever it is, we're not talking about them. Yeah. We are and, isolating ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. You either feed, right? And we, well, the more we keep quiet, the more we feed the shame. And the more we feed the shame, the more we take power away from us. So it's just this cyclical like process that we are in the driver's seat of that more than what we realize. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then it's very easy for that, that cycle to have depression in it, anxiety in it, fear in it, all of that kind of stuff. And, and you just get caught in this never ending loop of negativity and self doubt and, you know, secrets and all of that kind, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then one day, you know, you may just say to, you know, Susie down the street, Oh, I have anxiety. And she goes, Oh yeah, so do I. I've, I've had a bad week or something. And you're like, Oh my God, Susie down the the street has it too and then you just and then you tell you know the next person and then and then all of a sudden your 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 secret is mm -hmm. out in the open a little bit and nothing's changed right right nothing, your world has not imploded you know yeah. none of that has happened and you're like huh shunned you like yeah. maybe, like you were not yeah it's it's interesting and now this and like you might have had a vision of like Susie always has it all together Susie mm -hmm. is this Susie is that and it's almost this that like again it's i'm the only one with that problem because like susie's got it all together down the street that's what we think meanwhile susie's at home thinking like oh my god like i hope no one knows that i've got like why am i ever struggling and i think when you come to a space that we share something it's like you give permission for others to say yes oh my god me too like me too that is definitely something absolutely yeah. and and that has been incredibly freeing for me once I've started talking about my story. But what I've noticed and really, really loved is that I am freeing other people too. And yeah. that wasn't part of my my plan right in the beginning the, the in the beginning i just wanted i was so tired i was so tired of of hiding and keeping track of all of the things i was supposed to say mm -hmm. and what the things i was that i was supposed to do and who i was trying to impress i was just so tired and and then so i just stopped doing it and and it really was overnight for me i was just I was Nicole one yesterday and then I was Nicole 2.0 the next day because I was just, I was over it. <laughs> and yeah. Wow. So you like, I mean, we're going to go back into your story in a second, but you said like, you just stopped doing it. Like you, did you just like have one day where you're like, this is dumb. I'm not doing this. Or this is, this is not working. I'm not doing this. Like what was, what was that turning point? We can dive into a little bit more now, but just as you just said it there, that you just had a day where it was like, I'm not doing it like this way anymore. Yeah. So it, it's kind of hard to explain it without going a little bit into my story, okay, but so it, we'll come back to that thing. Cause okay. I do want to do that. So I think it's really important. You have got one heck of a story and I would love for you to start wherever you want in there to share it. And then we will add and carry the conversation. Okay, perfect. So um, when I was 23, 
22, 23, around there, uh, I had uh, decided I wanted to quit smoking. And new on the market was a prescription medication that you could take in order to quit smoking. And it was going to be painful, or sorry, painful, painless. Yes, thank you. Uh, Painless and easy. And it's, you know, the magic bullet. You weren't going to have any cravings. So I, you know, was signed me up. I went to my doctor's office. Uh, He was like, absolutely, here's a prescription. And I went home and I was, I was pretty pumped that I was going to quit smoking and wouldn't have to put much work into it. And um, so not, at no point was I told that this medication was actually an antidepressant that was prescribed off-label um, as a way to stop smoking. So I take the medication, I take it for a couple of months, I quit smoking and, um, you know, was successful. So I stopped taking the medication. Um, It's important to note here that you are never, ever supposed to stop a antidepressant cold turkey, uh, which is what I did because I didn't know what it was. And I just interject one second. I want to make sure. So, so like, cause in your head, the purpose of taking it was to stop smoking. You had fulfilled that purpose. So you didn't need to take it anymore. Like that's how you're right. Like, does that make sense? Right. Okay. And did yep. not know it was an antidepressant to not be able to just like, you couldn't stop taking it that way. Okay. So we make sure they're ready. Yes. Okay. And, and my doctor just said, when you're, when you're done smoking and you, and you're, and you don't think you're going to start again, that then go off the medication. So there was okay. no, no guide or anything like that about getting off. So I stopped the medication and, um, what happened next was probably the second most, uh, debilitating, um, sickness I've ever had in my entire life. So I was having um, withdrawal symptoms, but we obviously didn't know that until we Mm -hmm. looked back. But um, Mm -hmm. I was having rolling panic attacks that would last between seven and nine hours a day. Um, I was constantly sweating, uh, nausea, vomiting, weight loss. Uh, I was having, obviously, anxiety, sleep disturbances. Um, I was having a hard time eating. I, I I mean, anything you can think of really it, it it was horrifying so i being you know quite young still at 23 um said to my mom you know something's wrong with me i'm going crazy um i had had i had suffered i've always had panic and anxiety uh but they had never been this strong or long lasting so i thought oh, okay this is this is the break right well <laughs> seven to nine hours like i mean you just like we're not i mean i've actually had two panic attacks I, I i can specifically remember i didn't know what it was i didn't understand what it was until somebody had pointed out after i can't even imagine functioning at this point where you're at. Yeah. And I wasn't, no. I, I mean, I'd like to be clear that I, that I was not functioning mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, if people have had a panic attack before, mm-hmm. they understand that there is no way to reason yourself out of one. No. Um, and if you've never had a panic attack, I think it's harder, uh, granted harder to understand how you could be enveloped by that kind of fear and not be able to see a way out of it and not be able to just say, well, that's not logical, right? Well, can I also ask one more thing? I'm sorry. I just want to ask this. Oh, of course. The thing with a panic attack too is my, my one that was so bad. I remember having, I was in the car. I, I pulled over cause I just, I couldn't even process where I was, what was happening. And I, the anxiety felt like I was going to explode. Mm-hmm. And, but it was like nothing bad happened before. Right. And I think that's, it's not like, it's like, you're not being doing a good job managing your stress. Mm-hmm. It was like an internal like, like explosion that happened. Does that make sense? Oh, it absolutely makes sense to me. For yes. people who've never had one, I just want to paint that. It's not like, you know, this person's not dealing with their stress well, and this happened. It's just, it's an almost an involuntary response of how your body is handling where it's what's going on internally right now yes it feels like it's a very chemical um physiological experience um thank you for sharing that yeah it's definitely in in my experience not something that um i can have anxiety when i sit and worry about something then i can have anxiety but a a panic attack is completely different completely different yeah 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 so yeah, so I was really ill. I was having all of these um, 
issues. Um, you know, obviously not thinking about the the drug that I had just stopped. And uh, I called my mom and I said, Mom, I, I think you need to take me to the psych ward. And she's like, well, we're not doing that, right? Um, but I'll take you to the doctor. And, oh, and that's up, right? And she yeah. was trying to protect me. And I got yeah. that. And she was worried about me. But so let's let's go see. So we go to the family doctor. And, and he says to me, and my mom, uh, well, this is this is the age when uh, mental illness usually shows up. So oh that that was super helpful. So that Very calmed helpful. me down a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so he said, let's let's send you to a psychiatrist, and we'll see what they have to say. So they actually got me in quick, mm -hmm. and so it was within a couple of days. I was down in Toronto, um, getting a psychiatric uh, evaluation with a psychiatrist there. So I met with him for about an hour and my mom, like my parents came with me and he was like, you're fine. He's like, you have anxiety, you have OCD and you have panic disorder. That's all that's wrong with you. And, I, and I'm like having heart palpitations because I'm thinking you just gave me, you know, three labels here and you're just telling me everything's good and, you know, go, go on your way. Right. And there was no conversation sort of around, you know, you know, you're nothing's wrong with you. You're, you're still worthy, but you've got these things that you're going to have to deal with. And maybe we should talk about what could possibly could have triggered any of this stuff, which there were lots of things. Um, so he just said, here's your prescription. Oh God. Sorry. Right. Just of like, course. You're killing me right now. But yes. Yes. Cause I knew that's what you're going to say. Yes. Yeah, okay. Because everybody can see themselves in this. Cause unfortunately this is the way we practice healthcare right now. Right. Oh, we um, can all see ourselves yeah, in it. Easily. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And um, so he says, here's your prescription. It's like a diabetic needing insulin. Don't be embarrassed. You're going to be on this for the rest of your life. Um, you don't need to see me again. Uh, just check in with your family doctor. So I left there like, holy shit. Well, I've got, now I've got three things I didn't yeah. know I had. Yeah. Now I'm on medication for the rest of my life and I just have to accept it. Basically. Right. Is what right. Was, was told. Okay. Absolutely. So he tells me he's very clear that he tells me the medication takes minimum four to six weeks to work mm -hmm. and to be effective. So to just, you know, try and chill out for a little bit and you're going to feel better when, when the medication kicks in. So within three, maybe four days, all my symptoms were gone. And I thought, well, what the heck? He told me four to six weeks. And again, this is hindsight talking, but um, I know now that I was in a very heavy withdrawal from the uh, original um, discontinuation of medication. And this one was filling the void because I had started a new one. And so here we are. So, so, so how long was that time period between the time that you stopped, you're experiencing all those symptoms to now you have three three diagnoses that he's giving you and new medication and now your symptoms are gone again. How long was that time span roughly? Uh, three weeks. Okay. So three weeks. Yeah. Okay. yeah so I was in withdrawal for three withdrawal. Weeks. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so now all of a sudden, I mean, honestly, within days, everything's gone. And I did question my family doctor about it. And he was like, no, this is not proof that it was the medication that had made you sick when you stopped it. This is proof that you have a disease that we have cured. And my, my issue with that, especially looking back, so the, the prescription that I had was for Paxil, but I was not born with a deficiency in Paxil, right? So you giving me Paxil was not curing anything because I was not born devoid of it, right? Yes. So um, that is an issue, I think, around language and um, maybe not being entirely truthful in uh, the way we prescribe uh, psych psych meds right for people right and, uh, it, it's alarming when we when we think of the statistics of the number of people that are on them and that are maybe not getting a full picture of of the pros and cons and uh, in in being able to use them and and I am in no way anti I know you're not I know yeah, or into medication I... shaming this is a unique experience for everyone.
Well, exactly. And I think that's, I knew, I, I knew you were going to say that anyways, but it's, yeah. it's not a case of, I mean, to each their own, yep. but I still think there is a real point of like being educated of side effects and what's involved and how the body responds and like knowing your body and being okay with asking the questions and especially speaking up for yourself. So, wow, this is a lot to take in at 23. Like this is so much, so much to take in. And I know you're still not there in your story. So keep going. Sorry. <laughs> No, that's okay. So, um, so now I'm on this medication and, and I'm feeling, you know, really low. So, um, one of the issues with antidepressants is they may help you not feel afraid, but they, they aren't able to just stop one emotion. They stop all emotions. So I also didn't feel happy. I also did not feel motivated. I also did, right? Because yes. yes, it yes, it dampened my fear, but it dampened everything else about my personality as well, right? Mm -hmm. So now I'm 23, I'm getting married, um, I'm gaining weight rapidly. Uh, so then I get married and I have kids, we're a couple of years down the road. And now I've got two kids under the age of like two and a half and I'm tired, my marriage isn't, very strong. Um, I'm a new mom. I'm feeling overwhelmed with that. And then yeah. I have another baby very quickly. And I go to my doctor and I say, you know, I don't feel like I'm managing very well. I've got this weight that I can't get off no matter what. I don't sleep. I'm having trouble eating, but I'm still gaining weight. And um, I'm, I'm starting to get a lot of numbness and tingling, lots of headaches, like all of this kind of stuff, which are standard side effects of antidepressants. But I still don't right. know this at the time. Right. And their their only um, sort of tool in their toolbox is to raise the dose, right? Like that's all they know how to do. So then they raise my dose. So every couple of years I go into the doctors and I just say, I don't know, I don't feel happy. I don't feel sad. I don't feel anything. I feel drained. I feel tired. I feel all of that stuff, right? And so we raise the dose. And every time we raise the dose, my weight raises as well so and then it's that whole you don't feel good about yourself you don't like looking in the mirror your marriage is affected right and all of that well kind of stuff. i mean and also let's paint a picture too right like i mean a doctor might look at it and go okay so she's got some real issues with like her weight and it's bothering her and you're like no like there's all these other things i'm not feeling good like this is just not feeling right Exactly. And, and one of my biggest uh, complaints every time I went in there was restless legs and headaches. And the, redis, uh, the restless legs would keep me awake for hours at night because I couldn't stop shaking my legs. Yes. And um, headaches constantly. I'm talking four times a week for oh, that I would have a headache wow. that was, you know, not rendering me non-functional but mm -hmm. but enough that i would have to rest or i'd be very cranky or i'd be you know chewing on advil throughout the day right and, and that's not normal right no it's not no but instead of trying to figure out how do we get to the bottom of that it was raise the dose and whatever so the years go on and we raise the dose i end up getting a divorce and um you know i've got these two young kids and um you know, divorces are, are, are not easy, right? I think it's probably, <laughs> probably easy to say, and they're not always kind and amicable and they don't make you feel good about yourself. So you add a layer of shame onto that because awesome. now I'm failing at, you know, being good at uh, being on my medication because I complain about it all the time. Now I'm not a good mother. Now I'm not because I'm tired all the time. Now I'm not a good wife because I've gotten a divorce. So we're just layering the shame onto, onto myself. So, um, yeah, so it was tough. So then I go and I get, um, uh, you know, my own apartment and that kind of stuff. And I'm getting into the groove of life. And I meet a, a, a wonderful person who I end up later on marrying. Um, he's lovely and kind and supportive. And I talk to him a lot about my mental health. And he's kind of the only one who knows. And together with his support, he's like, yes, you're right. I don't think you need to be on this medication, right? And we're in a good spot now and all of this stuff. So I decide to go off the medication. And I go off slowly, so the doctor guided taper, but still quite fast, um, knowing what I know now. And again, it was a complete health breakdown. So this time there was no mental um, component to it, mm -hmm. uh, but my eyes were swollen shut. 
I had two anaphylactic uh, reactions to, well, they still were never able to, to tell me why. Um, I lost about 40 pounds in a really short amount of time. Uh, I couldn't sleep. I was having sleep starts. Um, just all, all kinds of stuff uh, was going wrong. Oh, and I, my right leg was completely numb. And, oh, and by the way, and, oh yes, and that right, yes. So uh, I go to my doctor, and he says, "Oh, well, it sounds like multiple sclerosis." Oh God, sorry. Just, I know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to that. Oh, go ahead. So oh. I start crying, and I was like, "What is happening right now? Like life's just starting to get good again, right?" And um, so he's like, "Yeah, we're gonna send you for more testing." So we go and. We do about a year and a half of testing through it all, oh. right? And they so they do find some lesions uh, in my brain, but they're like, which is w what you look for with MS. Yes. And um, but he says, but they're not where we normally see them, and they don't look like what they normally look like. And he's like, and you do have trouble walking, but you're. Um, it's not like a drop foot that we normally see. Right. So I passed some tests and then I was borderline on some other tests. And he's okay. like, I would treat you for MS, but I'm not sure that you have it. And I was like, well, let's not throw anything else. Yeah. So I was just like, I think I'm good for right now. And I'll just touch base with you. He said, if anything like this ever happens again, you come talk to us. So I said, that's fine. So then I leave and, uh, but I'm very upset about this, obviously at this, at this point. Right. And, you know, so throughout the year and a half that I've been going through testing, I've decided to go back on the, uh, Paxil because I'm like, well, I can't handle this because at this point I've been taught that I can't handle life without Paxil. Right. Because that, that's the messaging it's that I've been getting. Given. It's the right. message you've been given. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, so I go through all of this and it's, it, it was, it was insane. It was, it was a very, it's hard to look back and realize it's hard not to feel, um, uh, like I'd been gaslighted. Right. Um, yeah. but, but I know that doctors aren't out to harm us. They only know what they know and what they've oh. been told by the drug reps that come in. I don't believe they're trying to hurt us, oh. but I also think they have a responsibility to understand what they're prescribing people, right? Mm -hmm. But now I'm back on the Paxil, and, but now it's not working for me very well. Mm -hmm. And now every time I try something new, a vitamin, a food, I'm having some kind of reaction to it, whether I get hives or my eyes swell up or something like this. So then my doctor says, okay, maybe we should try to get off of it. So now I've been flip-flopping back and forth off antidepressants for, well, we're going on five years at this point. So finally, you know, that's it. We're going to work together. We're going to get off of it. And now the panic attacks are coming back super strong because I'm tapering far too fast. So at this point, the doctor says to me, you know what we're going to do? We got to keep you functioning because you still have to work and parent and do all of this stuff. So mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a benzodiazepine. And that is the class of medication that is Ativan, uh, Valium, Xanax, Klonopin, that kind of stuff, right? Yes. yes. And uh, I'm going to give you this. And every time you have a panic attack, you're going to take one so that you can, you know, get on with your day, basically. Okay. So I say, okay, are these addictive? Nope. No, they're not addictive. You what? don't have an addictive personality. You don't have to worry about it. I'm not going to let you get addicted. Okay. And so I take this medication and it was probably within four for months that I couldn't not take them daily because I was having withdrawal symptoms. So I go to the doctor and I say like, what on earth is happening? And he's like, no, it's not the medication. So at this point now, I mean, one of the things that I have some shame around is that I felt like at this point, I really should have known better because I'd already been having all of these issues with the antidepressants. Mm -hmm. um, but I really believed that I wasn't going to have an issue with the benzodiazepines, but, the, but I did. And I woke up um, just after Christmas in December 2015. 
Mm -hmm. and or sorry 2014 and I had no feeling below the belly button oh my gosh uh-huh and I mean it was a full-fledged panic at that point um yeah, rightly so yeah and I you know called for my husband and and I said I, I can't feel my legs and he's like well what do you mean and I said I can't move them like I can't bend them I can't but they but they were burning and he was like, oh my God, I said, I think you need to call an ambulance. So the ambulance came and took me to the hospital where I ended up having to be there for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And um, they weren't sure that those whole couple of weeks um, while I was there, uh, what was wrong. So they were doing all kinds of tests. Yes. I had, yeah, I had three spinal taps. I had uh, MRIs. I had CT scans. I had everything that you could think of, blood work, all, all of it. And um, they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And then while I was there, my father passed away while I was in the hospital. And I couldn't get to him, obviously, because I was not discharged uh, from the hospital. Oh, so, so that sorry. was, yeah, that was um, quite literally the lowest point. Yeah, <laughs> in my, another in layer, my right? Yeah. Another layer on top of something that's already really low. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so um, so there I was, and nobody could, could tell me what was wrong. Nobody could, um, you know, figure it out, give me any answers. Yeah. And oh. uh, so that was the first time that I had to start learning that I was going to have to be my own advocate in this. Mm -hmm. You, I, I, I mean, it's mind-blowing to me. It's absolutely mind-blowing to me. So you finally, you're in the hospital. You've been there for a few weeks your father passes away. You are like, how do you, you said you finally realized that you needed to be your own advocate. Where did the point come from? Like the point you're in the hospital to the point you decide to be your own advocate. Like, how did you get to there? So there was this voice and I mean, I'm sure it's the same voice that I had ignored for the last, you know, I was what, 34 at the time. Yeah. Um, that I had ignored my whole life, right? The one that was always that, that gut feeling, right? Yeah. Um, and I knew at this point that it was the medication and there was going to be nobody that was going to tell me that it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So every single chance I got, I would, I would talk about the medication. I would um, tell them when it started. I would give them timelines. And every time somebody would say, um, because so here's the thing, this is just a little bit of a backstory. Once, once you have that you're on an antidepressant on your chart or an anti-anxiety on your chart, then, then you are treated a little bit differently because you are someone who is maybe more prone to say exaggeration or more prone to, um, being excitable or, uh, you know, panicking about things. Right. So yes. I, my feeling is that they take you just a little bit less seriously. So oh, I wanted right. them. Yeah. Right. So I wanted them to know right off the hop that I was educated. I was intelligent. I knew what I was talking about and that I was going to advocate for myself. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of how that started because I just realized that listening to every buddy who thought they knew what was best for me had what was what had gotten me here right it was not listening to myself that had got me here so I, only i could get me out I, okay so that is i think that's probably one of the most powerful things that you just said and i just want to just highlight that is the fact that knowing that you know you've kind of followed everyone's advice to this point and you've completely dismissed your own gut feeling and knowing that if you want something different to happen, you have to have a different choice. Like there has to be a different, so we've got to try something differently because this is not working. Right. Because everything I had done so far was not working. No. And I, I hadn't believed for years and years that I had anything valuable to add to the conversation, even about my own life. And that is horrible. It is horrible, but how could you, I mean, in all fairness to yourself, like, I'm not sure who would feel good at this point. Like, I think in all fairness to like, who would feel good or trust themselves or like, I mean, talk about, um, oh, it's setting up almost for like, just so completely helpless 
to mm-hmm. everything that's happening and you just have to, okay, I guess this is what happens next. I guess this is what happens next. And you're just going along, not because you're weak, not because you're not willing to ask the questions. It's just like, this has been the pattern of life that it happened to you. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And, and, and I did feel helpless most yeah. of my life. Right. And, yeah. and that is not something you want to feel when you have anxiety, right? Because again, anxiety is also rooted in feeling helpless, right? I didn't know that I was strong and capable and all of those kinds of things, right? Mm -hmm. Well, at this point, you'd spent like half of your life dealing with, or like a third of your life dealing with like just, you know, I mean, certainly not emotions experienced that are empowering, like they're completely disempowering. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you... um. I don't think you said it here, but I know you said it earlier to me is that, you know, you had those moments where it was like, I just didn't I'm sure I want to live anymore. I'm yeah. just not sure. And you go from that space to being in the space, right. Of where you're growing to now, like that turning point, right. That turning point is, is huge. Is it, and you said for you that it literally just stopped like one day you're like, this is not how we're doing it anymore. Yes. So, uh, on my arrival back home, mm-hmm. I am, you know, in a wheelchair. I cannot take care of myself in any way. My husband has to shower me. I mean, we are, you know, we are ill <laughs> at this oh, point. Can I ask how old your kids are at this time? Uh, seven and eight. Okay, so still young. This is yes. this is young. Okay. Yeah, you know, they can they can get themselves up in the morning um, yes. and make a bowl of cereal, but um, you know, the rest is up to us, kind of thing, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, you know, I'm home, I'm, I'm in a wheelchair, my husband's, you know, literally having to do everything. And um, I, I just, I feel useless. I feel like a burden. And on top of this, they still, um, they still don't know for sure why I lost the ability to walk. I've got home care coming in every day to see me. I've got a physiotherapist teaching me how to walk. And um, I, I don't want to live like this. No, right? I don't want to live sick no. and unsure and uncertain and um, sad and watch life pass me by. I mean, at, at times the the suffering and and the pain um, was was unbearable, and there there were days for sure that it's hard to admit that I I prayed that I that I wouldn't wake up, mm-hmm. and um, that is uh, a really a really tough way to exist. Well, it's, yeah, absolutely. And we can't do that for long periods of time, but I think that that is, I think it's important to share that point because people can relate to that, that that space of being in such a low point that like, I mean, think of what you've gone through at that point for, um, I write here, how many years is that now? So yeah. Yeah. Who would want to live like that? Like, that's not like, that's not, there's nothing wrong with you for saying that I, I know it's hard but like that is just not the life that you thought you had signed up for right this is a definitely not completely out of your control yeah. where it comes to a point where yes all of it was out of your control but you had a moment where you were like no this is not how this is gonna end this is I not did yeah yeah so I had had a really um nice moment with each of my children because they would climb into bed with me and tell them tell me about their day and all of that kind of stuff and I just Mm -hmm. thought like these kids don't care that I can't walk these kids don't care right they don't care about any of that right they're just like so what would they possibly do without me right so at that moment I was just like no more right not today not tomorrow everything is changing from today on and if I make it through this I am going to change everything about myself and I am certainly not going to go away quietly about my experience, but I am not going to live the rest of my life the way I have lived in the past because that didn't work for me. It never worked for me and I just never had the courage to say it. Okay. I am feverishly taking notes because I want to say something there. I just, I'm just proud of you for saying, like having that moment of time saying that this is not how it is going to end. And you just had to come to a space of learning to find your courage to be able to say, no, this is not it. So how do you find your courage? Yeah. Listening. 
Yeah. So, and, and it's interesting. I always think about that quote by, um, of course, I'm going to forget her name because I'm on the spot, but whoever wrote Harry Potter. Um, oh, J.K. Rowling. Yes. Thank you. Yep. Um, rock bottom was the solid foundation of which I built my life upon. Yep. It was the first time in those moments that I understood, like really understood what that quote meant. Right. I mean, yeah. you could not get any lower in my life than I was at that point. Right. Stuck in bed 20 hours a day. Right. And um, I was I was that way for about 18 months where I was in bed and in and out of a wheelchair and, and all of that. And I just thought no more. So I started journaling and then my journaling turned into writing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd always wanted to write a book, but it had always been on a bucket list. But again, I was so afraid of my own voice that I didn't know what I wanted to write about. So then I thought, oh, well, why don't I write about this, right? Yeah. Um, so I did. And um, yeah, so I, so I wrote and um, I journaled. And uh, so then I started celebrating all of the little things I was accomplishing. And sometimes they were very little, like walking to the end of the driveway unassisted. But a person who's been in a wheelchair, that is huge. Huge. Yeah. Right. Right. And my kids would clap and it would be, you know, this and my husband would be crying and because he's just like the sweetest thing on earth. And um, yeah, so gradually I got stronger. And as I got stronger, so did my voice. So it wasn't just Mm -hmm. my, um, my, the physical parts of me that were growing. It was, or get, sorry, getting stronger. It was, it was something about me and I could, I could, feel the shift. Mm -hmm. And that shift started with even starting to not really respond to uh, friends anymore that maybe I only had because on the surface, I thought I needed to look like I had a lot of friends, but Mm -hmm. maybe they weren't real deep connections. Mm -hmm. And then it started with, you know, testing out some boundaries with people. And starting to talk about my story because I was ashamed that this had happened to me because it was about mental health, right? So mental health is still really hard for people to talk about. It's still hard for me to talk about. Um, But I'm talking about it anyway because I'm trying to save people from having to experience what I experienced because I was feeling ashamed, right? Yes, you can just see how they just see the connection of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I just kept going and, and it, and I mean, I was taking the smallest steps, right? Because I was so afraid. I had never lived like, I had never lived freely. I had never, um, you know, no knock against my parents, but they were very, in my opinion, you know, sort of keeping up with the Joneses. So we always had to have, there was an expectation of sort of how we were to behave and Mm -hmm. what we were allowed to talk about and that kind of thing. Right. So I had never just not cared. I had never just said, this is who I am, take it or leave it. Right. And that just became so empowering. Mm -hmm. And I got addicted to just telling my truth. And I got addicted to telling people kind of, how messed up I felt sometimes and how, what a failure I felt like sometimes. And the more that happened, the more people were gravitating towards me and saying, Oh my God, one of the things I love about you is that you just talk about your flaws or the things you're disappointed in so comfortably. Right. It's the very thing that you are so afraid of sharing actually becomes the thing that empowers you to do more. Yes. it set me free. It sets you free. It's, it's, I just love that because that to me is like ultimately what this whole podcast is about. And what my whole mission is about is the fact that when you stand in that and you be vulnerable, you be real, you be authentic, you do those things. It might be in the beginning as a way to survive, but it's actually your path in order to like expand your life and do more. And like some of the end result things I, I could have never imagined would have come from like from my story as yes. you, like I, I didn't have it on the radar that when my life was falling apart that, Oh, I hope I'm going to do a podcast and write a book one day. Never. It was never on the radar. I was trying to figure out how to get through a day. As yep. always, I was trying to figure out how to get through one more day mm-hmm. and maybe stand up a little bit more. And I think that, I think that that's what I can relate to. And I know someone else will relate to what you're saying, but in doing so ended up getting stronger and stronger and not out of nowhere. It was like, I didn't see this coming. This is not what I expected. 
Yes, and, and you're exactly right. And, and one of the things that I love that you posted not too long ago, um, I mean, I, I don't know it verbatim, but something along the lines of, of, of once you've experienced this, it's almost your responsibility to come light the way for other women, right? And, and, and we really, I, I really believe, like I have goosebumps right now. I wish you could mm-hmm. see it. I, I mean, I, it's so important to me that we're all here telling our story and, you know, giving hope to the people that are behind us that are so new in their journey and they don't think it's even possible. Like I was a hot mess. And if I can do it, you can do it. (laughs) I just absolutely love that. And I adore that you do that because I think that's the thing, right? We are essentially, as we step forward into this and trust our voice and learn to trust that voice, then what we're doing is we're actually kind of reaching back and helping a younger version of us who would have prayed for someone to be able to have the courage to stand up and speak. And as I know, very much similar to you in a sense that like nobody was talking back like seven, eight years ago, nobody was talking. I couldn't even know where to go for answers because I mean, it just didn't happen to regular families. That was the judgment piece that we did with it. So it was tough to come to a space. And when we do that, we're reaching back. We're actually helping like younger versions of ourselves. And, you know, if we can take that and shorten a learning curve for someone else, putting purpose to your pain can change so many things. Oh, I love that. Right? Purpose to pain. Yes, I love that. Yeah, it just can change so many things in our lives. And we just create free, I always say it's our path to healing. Like it's one of the things, and we're always still healing. It's our path to it, but it's also, it just puts a purpose to know that we can help someone else and maybe shorten a curve for them, like shorten a learning curve, shorten the journey for them. If they're open, right? Like not everybody's open, that's fine. But if they're open to, and they're looking for answers, you sharing just this story here. I'm telling you, someone is going to resonate with it and go like, oh my gosh, I, I thought that was just me. It took me for a long time in order to find and trust my voice. You know, and it's interesting because I never, ever in a million years, especially when I was in the thick of it and, you know, not wanting to wake up, mm-hmm. I never thought that there would be a day that I could say that I was happy not happy. Happy is not the right word that I can appreciate that I went through that experience and why. So my husband had said to me, would you do it all again to be where you are right now? Right. And oh, you know, tough question. you know that I answered yes before I even had a chance to think about it. Okay, and I have goosebumps. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because I would, I am yeah. not the same person who no. went into that experience as I am now. No. And the person I am now feels valued, feels loved, feels supported, feels worthy, feels heard, feels all of the things that I always wanted to feel and never did. And I don't think that I could have gotten there without having been at rock bottom. Well, here's the, I, I, I thank you for sharing that. And I love that you shared that because I know this is a tricky, I get asked this question and it's a, it's a tricky question, right? Like I, I didn't want things to happen that no. happened to us. That's not what I wanted at all. But I do believe that I would have never learned the lessons that I've learned if I didn't live them. I know that I can read them a thousand times over. You have to live something in order to really learn and embody it. And you can't, you can't teach on something until you've lived it. And so I believe that's all part of it. But I also know the perspective that I have now is a thousand times more freeing than it ever was before. So my way of living before would have hit a wall at some point because yes. it's not going to work somewhere. It wasn't going to work somewhere because I didn't, I couldn't micromanage, control, fix, manage everyone and everything to be perfect. I was a bit of a perfectionist. That wasn't going to work. So eventually at one point it was going to hit a wall. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately it came in this situation, but it's a tricky, those are tricky things when you start to go, okay, I know life is happening for me, mm-hmm. but when you go through really, really difficult, traumatic experiences, it's really tough, isn't it? To just say, Yep, that was all for me. All yeah. about Yeah, especially when you're in it, right? Oh. Like hindsight's or hindsight's always a little bit easier to to for say sure. yes, that was for me for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think you know what, just even as two moms, I mean, going through our experiences and growing and learning from them, is there anything that we wouldn't be prepared for moving forward? No. 
right? Yeah. Like I've got this shit on lockdown now. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Absolutely love that. I love, yeah, it's well, because people will say, you know, how do you like, oh my gosh, what are you going to do if like the shoe drops tomorrow? And I'm like, I'm going to pick up the shoe tomorrow, but I'm not going to plan on the shoe dropping tomorrow. I will deal with that tomorrow. That was never on my radar before to go what, like, I mean, I still have moments where I think too much ahead. I'm not going to just be human, but, but I, it's allowed. Right. It's totally allowed. But I definitely like, I, I know my perspective is in a way that it was never like that before. And when I ran my first event, um, and this is just a funny side story, but when I ran my first event, I decided two months before that I was going to run this women's event. I just had this push call to do it, looked at a couple locations, signed. And I was like, what the heck did I just do? Because the old me would have been like map everything out. So I had friends come to this event, people who I just met, people I didn't know, and people who had known me for like, you know, honestly, like 30 years. And my one friend who had known me for 30 years, she came and she's like, you are so different now. It's, I can't even tell you how you're a totally different person. And I got used to my new self. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, like the old you could have never just let this be and let it be what it was. Right. You would have controlled it and, and stressed. And this you was just like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. So those, those lessons, right, you embody and you do become a different person because life has pushed you in this direction. Yeah. And I mean, listen, would I have rather gained all of this knowledge and insight a different way? A hundred percent, right? Something a little easier, right? Um, Absolutely. Right. But then would, would the result be the same? I don't know. And I'm, uh, am I willing to give up what I have today? Not on your life. Yeah, I, that's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I love that you said that. This is, so with your, the, I think that what you've gone through, like you could easily just say, okay, I look at life differently now and I am handling it differently now, but you're taking it one step further. And this is part of why I so love what you're doing and will support it in any way, shape or form is you're paying those lessons forward. See, this is what I think the missing pieces and, 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 and I know this rubs people the wrong way, but I really do believe that if you feel called, especially if you feel called to share and impact others, you have those lessons for a reason. And now you're actually physically doing something with them. That's, that's just gold. It's just gold. And I thank you for doing that. Yes. No, it, I mean, it's, it's been my pleasure. Uh, I, I love this, this portion of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels, it feels good to, to lend a hand. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, what impact would you like to make in the world moving forward? Honestly, I truly want um, shame to be a thing of the past. I mean, I think it's going to, I hope it's just going to start with women being able to share, uh, women being able to, to grieve, uh, you know, the life they thought they had to live, um, or the time that they wasted, right. Um, having a community of women who all just get together and build and lift and inspire and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, maybe more on a global scale, I'd love to see, you know, cultural shame and religious shame and all of that kind of be a thing of the past too. But, um, I'm, I'm only one person. (laughs) Um, but You know what, you'll create a movement. And I mean, all of us together will create more of a movement because this is the thing, right? The whole collaboration piece is that we're not in this, we're not in this alone, we're in this together. Absolutely. And I, we can't make big changes until we're making like small micro changes. Yep. And start in your own community, start in your family, right? Yeah, absolutely. 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 Love that. So where can people reach you, um, connect with you, follow you? So I mostly like to hang out on Instagram. That's my jam. I love it there. So uh, you can reach me at author underscore Nicole Delcourt. And then that will also be a link on my um, author page on if you want to check out my personal page as well. They're they're linked. um, So Mm -hmm. you can find that as well. I'm not on Facebook very much. But uh, if you want to find me there, it's under the things I couldn't say. Hmm. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Awesome. And you can 
send me an email. You can do whatever you want. You want to say hi. You want to be on the podcast and talk about shame like Marsha. It's great. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, I was on, I was on your podcast last week. I will definitely share that out when that goes. And I love what you're doing and how you are um, bringing light to all of that. Honestly, just your story deserves to be told and your story will give permission for so many others to share their story as well. And that's what's really important. Thank you. Um, and as always, I appreciate your support. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. See, this is what I'm talking about. What I just, I'm going to do a one quick sidebar. When people say, and I, I noticed this when I was doing all these interviews for the book that we were doing, is a lot of, I had a bunch of women, and I did have some who say, like, women don't do that. Women don't support each other. They don't encourage. I'm like, I don't know what circles you're in, but I'm telling you, you need new circles. because yeah, you're the wrong ones. You're in the wrong ones. Because it's, I used to think that too, but it's not the case. They actually do. Like, they actually, there are women out there who there is no competition. It's collaboration, right? Like, we, we all bring ourselves to the table. And that's what makes us different. So yeah. we can all succeed. There's nothing there, but we can be so much more powerful together than apart. So much more. Hell yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So two quick questions to ask you as we wrap up. And the first is, is if you could go back to your younger self, what message would you tell her? You can tell her at any age and it can be small, big, whatever, but is there a message that you would go back and share with her? Honestly, I want to give young me a super duper big hug yeah. and just say, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Cause she just did not know. No, she didn't realize. <laughs> no. And how could she know? She wouldn't know. Love that. Um, the last question I have for you is what lesson in life are you the most grateful for? I think it's this one. And you know, it's still, it's still really hard for me to say, but I think the, the lesson is that um, your, your bottom is actually going to be your rising. Mm. Yep. I love that. That's the space that you rise from. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be your rising. I love that. Absolutely love that. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. I mean, I just, there's so much in this conversation and I thank you for being real and honest with everyone and sharing it because that's what people will relate to. That's absolutely what they're going to relate to. So I honestly thank you so much for doing that. And I cannot wait for your book to actually come out. We will promote it when it, when it does. Thank and um, the podcast, I mean, I just honestly thank you, thank you, thank you for um, listening, finding that courage, building yourself up, and coming to a space where you can make a difference in the lives of others. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Marsha. Oh, you're welcome. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Until next time, remember, when you own your choices, you truly own your life.